Our next baptism is in January, and if you uh, feel like you would like to take that next step, please indicate that on your app or go to the Information Center and we will get you started on the process. We'd love to do to have you part of the next baptism. And it's because of your giving and your investment in Circle that we're able to do the things that we do here. And to see people grow in their spiritual walk is really a highlight for us. And so I want to just say thank you to you for your investment here. If you are considering year-end giving, today is the last service of uh, the year. Uh, then Christmas Eve will be our last gathering, community gathering. You can give both of those times uh, either on your uh, on the apps or technology, or you can go to the information center or give when the ushers come by in a few moments. Thank you for all of your gifts. Any gift over $20 is qualifies for an income tax receipt. You just need to give us your address and we'll send you that receipt as well. So I'm going to ask the volunteers come forward to receive our morning offering. We're so delighted that uh, we could play a part in the Lighthouse Christmas party downtown and the residents for those who are less fortunate and we had just a, a great time there. Lots of uh, people came out, 60 in total, and we were able to give them some gifts and have them enjoy a party. So thank you for your giving to help us do that as well. So God, now as we give to you, Take these gifts and use them to help people. In Jesus' name, amen. As Austin mentioned, that Christmas Eve will be a great time to here at Circle. and We hope that you bring your family and friends, and there are invitations available for you to invite your friends. They're available at the information desk, and so you can pick that up uh, this morning. And uh, we also need some help to make the evening go well. Uh, we need about six parking people to just help direct cars on the Christmas Eve. And thankfully, it's not going to be about 40 below. It's uh, actually going to be a, a nice evening. We also need about seven ushers and three greeters. So if you can help in these ways, that would be really good. We'll be hosting a lot of people from the community, and it will give their experience uh, a little bit better. I want to welcome those who are listening online, and uh, your sermon notes this morning are on your app. Just uh, press media and go to Upsetting Christmas and the 22nd of December, and your notes will come up for you. Well, in uh, keeping with the title of Upsetting uh, Christmas, uh, I want to... Uh, maybe upset you this morning. You know, uh, what I find very upsetting is that Christians really do not have a good op uh, reputation. I noticed the Pope's address recently to his cardinals and all of his, his uh, workers. I don't know if it's their Christmas party or what it is. But he was saying that Christianity is losing its influence. And 
all over Europe, and he said, in the West, we are not well-liked. I don't know what his, his answer was. I don't know what it would be for evangelicals or mainstream uh, Christianity, but he, it is true what he is saying. We are losing the reputation that the early believers had, and it's upsetting. This is reinforced every time for me when I visit Arizona and I'm part of a coffee row. And this is a diverse group of people. The only thing they have in common is that they don't like Christians. I don't know why they like me. Maybe they don't. But it's unfortunate that the greatest news of the world, that, that Jesus came for us, is somehow communicated in a way that upsets people and marginalizes the church. The church seems to be a money-grabbing group of people who are hypocritical, judgmental, homophobic, and by association with the U.S., we're a right-wing Republican. It's kind of unfortunate how that has happened. It is upsetting because of this statement placed in your notes. We are responsible to extend grace to everyone. I'm not sure that our reputation would be so tarnished if we followed this one statement. We're responsible to extend grace to everyone, which is upsetting to some Christians who feel some people are not worthy of grace. But yes, we are to be the extension of grace in a world that desperately is in need of grace. Now, grace, when it comes to relationships and to ourselves, grace is like the oil in a machine. If you think about your car engine and the different parts that are meant to work together, without oil, they build up friction, and they actually destroy one another. Grace is like the oil in a relationship, in a church, and in society. Grace enables folks who are different from each other to work with each other without destroying each other. And grace, when it flows in relationship, accomplishes amazing things even though we have many differences. And the amazing thing is that your Heavenly Father initiated this. He took the time to initiate grace. In fact, one of the lines from a famous Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, says, God and sinners reconciled. You can be right without grace, but you cannot be reconciled without his grace. And Jesus came into the world not to be right. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us. And grace becomes amazing when it is extended to other people. Grace is invisible 
and isn't something until it is experienced. It is only experienced in the context of relationships. And you are most like God when you extend grace to others. Extending grace relationally is your greatest opportunity. Now here's the upset. Extending grace is not easy for us, especially for some people. There are some people that it is difficult to extend grace to. You know what I mean? Some of them will be sitting around your Christmas dinner table and you're called to extend grace. Extending grace to certain kinds of people who embrace certain behaviors or people that remind you of someone who hurt you. And Jesus tells us why. Jesus, in one of the most upsetting questions asked by anyone at any time, explains why it's difficult for me and perhaps for you to extend grace. Now, I warn you, this question, this question is like getting kicked in the face. If you're not a Jesus follower this morning, you do not have to participate in this. You can sit back and you can kind of smile as all of us feel miserable when Jesus asks this question. And this might be a good reason for you not to believe in Jesus and not to follow him. And so, here's the question. But let me warn you, if you are a Jesus follower, we have no choice. No choice. So here's the question. And it takes us right to the epicenter of why it's so difficult for most of us to extend grace to somebody or to a group of people. Are you ready for the question? Thank you for your silence. And <clears throat> I'll ask it anyways. In Luke chapter 6, verse 41, it says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your, own, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Oh, man. Can we just talk about the end times or prayer or seven-day creation or, you know, something else? Remember, this is Jesus talking, and for the next few minutes, you will be tempted to be upset with me. But I remind you, this is not my question. Don't shoot the piano player. Jesus asks why you get so upset with and amped up and so emotional about the little itty-bitty things they do wrong. And, this, and then the speck, you pay no attention to your issues and your problems and your habits and your attitudes, the plank in your own eye. To which you say, because it's not a speck. It's not a speck. She's a liberal. He's a conservative. He listens to the CBC. She listens to Gormley Live. These are major issues. For others, it is more personal. You say, well, my dad left when we were six years old, and 
never looked back. My mom raised us as a single mom. Now he's sick, and he's coming back for help. How dare he? Those are not specs. And we should get a little defensive around a question that Jesus asks when it seems he doesn't even know the backstory. Others say, I don't have a plank in my eye. I see the world as it really is. I know how things work. Or as I grew up hearing, I was taught right. Things are just black and white, and we know what's right. And Jesus isn't talking to me. I don't have a plank in my eye. Other people have planks in their eyes, and Jesus has just confused it for for sawdust. Jesus isn't through yet. He goes on, and he gets even more obnoxious and upsetting. Verse 42, he says, How can you say to your brother, or your brother-in-law, or your sister, or your sister-in-law, or your neighbor, or the guy at work, or your boss, the guy who used to be your friend and then ran off with your spouse and your stuff, how can we say to him or her, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Let me help you see clearly to see the world the way it really is and the way it works, what you ought to do and what you should have done. See the world clearly because I see the world clearly. Don't you just love Jesus? His questions. And the whole time you've been critical and you've had a bad attitude and you... You, you, you know, you drive up to your in-law's house, you, you park the car, you look at your watch, and you look at your spouse, and you say, 45 minutes, and we're out of here. Then Jesus calls it out. And this is even more upsetting because you've always justified yourself by calling plank in the next person when Jesus calls it sawdust. So Jesus says, how can you call anything out on the next guy? He says, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. Now, if you're not a a Jesus follower, you're going to love the next part of this verse. Because Jesus is talking to his followers, and Jesus cuts through all of the semantics. And he labels, and he gets to the upsetting heart of the whole thing in a two-word sentence. He says, you hypocrite. To which all the unchurched people say, finally somebody called them what they are. Right? You hypocrite. Jesus says, you are a sinner. You do it on purpose over and over and over again. Do you know why Jesus extends forgiveness and grace in spite of us not deserving grace? You know why he does not overlook sin and choose to forgive you and treat you like you never did sin? Because he sees you clearly. He sees you clearly and exactly who you are. 
and he takes everything into account. Your background, your upbringing, he knows your stepdad, the environment that you were forced into and taken out of. He knows the people that surround you. He sees all of that. He knows all about you. He knows what you've experienced. He knows what you've done and what's been done to you. He understands your health challenges. He knows the setbacks and how difficult it was for you to excel and how difficult it was to connect with other people. He understands what success has done to you and how it has blindsided you. Most people have difficulty passing the success test. He knows about the failures and what it did to you. He knows the connection between what you were told as a child and your failure as an adult. He knows your insecurities. He knows your missed opportunities. All of that is taken into consideration. And your heavenly Father decides to extend grace anyways. He is gracious and loving and kind. The great apostle Paul, looking back on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, And understanding himself to be a hypocrite, even though he was an expert in the law, he wrote, he wrote a, an astounding verse, part of a whole treatise. And he really didn't have us in mind when he was writing this. He was writing about himself and probably writing to the first century Christians, brothers and sisters, and he says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And notice the verb is important. He's saying, while I was in the north of Jerusalem, unaware of what was happening in Jerusalem, while I was sinning, Jesus was in Jerusalem dying for the sin that I was sinning at the time. He was thinking about the future as he was dying as well. But Paul in the moment was realizing that while I was still an active sinner, still in rebellion against God, Jesus was nailed to the cross for the sins that I was committing in that moment. Talk about grace. And Paul understood grace in a way that maybe we've never understood. And here we are, 2,000 years later. Grace means that God demonstrates his own love for you, for all of us, knowing ahead of time that we would commit, confess, Repeat, commit, confess, repeat, commit, confess, repeat. We keep on sinning and grace keeps flowing out of, of Christ. Christ died for us anyways because that is what grace does. God takes your whole story into account.
and gave you what you did not deserve and what you needed most. And then he says to you and me, he says, come on, people. Come on. Listen up. I just want you to do that for others. What I have done for you, I want you to extend to other people. He doesn't want you to leave here and just feel bad about yourself and tell your friend, you know, I, I'm going to be a better person. This Christmas, I'm going to zip my lip. I'm not going to try to be rude back to my stepdad and get even. Listen, this is not go home and be a better person. That's not what this is about. Jesus says this is not what he requires of us. It is not committing to be a sweeter person. He says before you try to figure out how to extend grace to someone else, you will never get that right until you take, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then, and only then, will you see clearly enough to extend grace to the people that need what they don't deserve, but what you have called, been called to extend to them. This is so powerful. And it's so upsetting at the same time. So upsetting. You know, I prepared this message a, a few months ago. And there are certain messages that just kind of you know, go down deep into your soul and you, you, you start thinking about it. And how do I apply this? And am, am I teaching this authentically? And there was a part of me that was, you know, was looking forward to today so I could preach this and then just set it aside and go back to normal. And I realized I can't. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ I must, I must extend grace. And the question remains, what planks am I carrying around? Because there are people that I have a hard time with. And some of them are sitting in this room. <laughs> My goodness. What is it about them that reflects on something about me? Because planks get in the way of grace. Planks get in the way of grace. And Jesus says, you know, probably all of you, most of you here have, have planks. And this is what makes Christ Christmas so stressful. And this is what takes most of the stress out of Christmas. If we saw the people that will come to Christmas dinner the way that Jesus sees the person. And you will not dread the encounter as much. And you will have the opportunity to do something amazing. And Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Now notice the terminology. You will see clearly. You will have greater insight. You'll be more authentic to do for others what Christ did for you. And here's what I'm learning. The more aware of what God has yet to do in me, the more aware I am of what God is about to do in me, the more I reflect the mirror of God's message 
and his teaching. Put it this way. The more aware of the planks in my eye, the less aware I am of what he has yet to do in you. Let me read that again. The more aware of the planks in my eye, the less aware I am of what he has yet to do in you. The less aware and bothered and offended I become, and this is when it is easier to extend grace to other people. God doesn't give us a choice whether we extend grace or not. There is no person that he created, and he says, okay, guys, this guy here I created, he doesn't need any of your grace. You know, go ahead. Give it to him. He doesn't deserve grace. There is no person like that. Every person that God created deserves his grace. And this is why I love the Christmas story. At Christmas, grace came to earth to dwell among us in spite of us. In spite of us. And this Christmas, I'm betting you'll have the opportunity to extend grace, but you will find no joy in it. No joy in it. Unless you remove the planks in your own eyes. And isn't it interesting and I put this in your notes, God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was offended by it. God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was offended by it. Friends, if we are the followers of Jesus Christ, there is no other option to not be offended by everybody else's junk, but realize that that person is in need of grace and we cannot be offended by it. God was so brokenhearted over the sin of mankind that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to die so that we could be reconciled to him. And Jesus drew near even though we, by choice, were far away. And this season reminds us that Jesus came as that little baby, not, as, not with the power of an army, but disarmed as a vulnerable baby to come into the world and identify with us and ultimately give his life for us. That was grace. No, there was one group that Jesus did not get uh, come alongside of. And you probably know this if you've grown up in church. The people that Jesus had most problem with were the people that represented graceless religion. Graceless religion. Religious people whose planks made it impossible for them to see people the way that he saw them. And he had a running battle with these these people, people who were so twisted and manipulated the love of God. They didn't feel like they needed the grace of God. And Jesus had no patience for them. Maybe you've encountered some of those people. I, I mean, I have. 
no grace, think they're perfect. They're, they have, they own the truth. They become the, the judges and the jury. And Jesus had a running battle with them. But the truth is that when grace is out front, there's something attractive about grace. And people who exhibit grace, your favorite people in all the world are those people who are full of grace. And that's what initially attracted people to Jesus Christ. He was full of grace and full of truth. I'm always inspired by the thoughts of how Christianity first began. It began in the Roman Empire. Israel was occupied by the Romans. It was a ruthless regime. They were taxed to death. They were beaten and arrested. and Many Christians were killed. The Romans had a, a religious system of many, many gods. There was immorality that ran rampant. And this little band of Christians extended grace and they, they extended love. And it was like they were a light in the center of a very dark world. For entertainment, people would gather at the Colosseum, and Christians would be dragged in and beaten and killed for entertainment and sport. And still, within the context of this ungodly, ruthless regime, the Christians began to love one another and love people and pray for their enemies. It says, my favorite story of antiquity is the story of, of Pocahontas, who was, who was a, a boy in the town of Thebes. Thebes, too, was under Roman occupation. And the young men of the town were arrested and they were kept as soldiers in the Roman army. And those who they thought would be uh, subject to escape were placed in the prison. And this Pocahontas was in prison and a famine broke out in the land and there was no food and the prisoners were responsible for somehow getting their own food. And the, many were starving. Every evening, there was a group of people that came to the prison and put crumbs of bread between the bars and kept these young boys alive. And this Pocahontas wondered, who are these people? Why are they giving us the food? They don't look like they're rich enough to have lots of, of food and, and money, but they're keeping us alive with, it, with, this, with this bread. What, who are they? And when Pocahontas was released from prison, he made it his mission to find who was it that was giving them this food. And what he found was a group of people who followed Jesus Christ and believed they needed to extend grace and love to a community of people who hated them. And 300 years later, Christianity became the the official religion of the Roman Empire, and Rome became the capital city of Christianity.
Listen, there's a power in grace. There is a power in love. Governments come and go. I've lived through two, uh, two Trudeaus. There may someday be a third. And they come and they go. But listen, the power of Jesus Christ remains. His love prevails. And that, my friends, is the beauty of Christianity. It is like salt. It is like light in the community. Why is it? Why is it that Christians have such a bad reputation? Because they have exchanged power instead of humility and grace and love. I'm embarrassed by U.S. Christianity. Can I say that here? It's all about power and about laws. What has happened to the grace and love of Christ? Jesus says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eyes so that you can see clearly and you can love your brother and love your sister without offense. Even when you think they don't deserve your grace and your love. So let me ask you this morning. What are you full of? Ask another way. What comes out of you when you are most shaken? People and the church specifically, is most appealing when grace is most apparent. When you invite people to the candlelight service, and I hope you do, and if the answer is no, it's, it's, it's usually not about what they have read in the Gospels. Generally, it has far more to do with graceless Christians and they don't want to meet people who, have taken, who haven't taken the plank out of their own eyes so they don't know how to extend grace. So what about you? Are you ready to take the plank out of your eyes so that you can see clearly in order to benefit and give grace to the people around you? People you are sure that they're wearing a plank. And this is so important because grace in you could change their life. And grace in you could introduce them to the God of grace. And that's how it works. Now, I know you probably have your house ready for Christmas. You got the tree up. You got the lights up. You, the decorations up. But are you ready? Are you ready to sit around that Christmas dinner table? And let the grace flow. Let it flow. You're ready to take the plank out so that you see clearly. You can love the people who come. Are you ready? Would you stand with me? There's something in the room that we talked about this morning that you would like to come and talk to some people at the front. If you need prayer, we invite you this morning. There's also a baptism celebration for Ashton in the back, so please stop by and congratulate him this morning. And uh, Christmas Eve.
be a great day, candlelight service, one of the most beautiful services of the year. And if you could help, would you just stop by the info center? If you can help with parking or ushers or greeting, that would be most appreciated. Uh, Let me pray as we go. God, today, I thank you for your upsetting grace and that it reached me someone who didn't deserve it. You know my past, and you know all about me, and you extended it to me. I thank you that you did that for every person in this room. You know all about us. You know what we've done, where we've been, and you extend your grace, and we receive it this morning. And help us to reflect that to others. Help us to change the reputation of Christians in this world. I pray that someday the Pope would get up and say, you know, we have a good reputation again. It's because people have been have been shaken by the grace of God. So go with us today. Fill us with your spirit. Thank you for every person here in this room. I know that you will go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for being here. God bless you.